Good morning. In Joshua 2, their leader, Joshua, sends two scouts into Canaan. So they cross over the Jordan and they go into Canaan to, in fact, Joshua says, I want you to look over the land and specifically Jericho. Kind of an amazing thing, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at all the technological advances that we have, the things that we take for granted, things that just even a few years ago were not available to us. And now it's almost passe, and yet at the time it was like this huge step. We don't need to spend, send out spies. I mean, we don't need scouts. I pick up my device. I know what's going on all around the world, or I think I do. Turn on the television, listen to the radio, or whatever format or platform. And of course, uh, boy, when we get the reports from our spies, you know, <laughs> I don't know, what is... What do the reports do to you? What do they do to me? I'll be honest. Uh, I, I can't deal with it all. Can you deal with it all? Honestly? Do we deal with it sometimes just by lashing out and complaining? Maybe we, we, we grumble about it continuously because that's what the spies have told us, but there's not a thing we can do, right? Right? But we do know it's out there, it's happening. People are all up in arms about it. There are people in positions of power who make decisions about it. But basically all we have are the reports of our spies, you see. And yet it adjusts or affects the things we do within the realm of our own power and control. It does affect that. And we... We live in a democratic society, so each one of us does have a vote, and that empowers us. We feel very powerful about that vote. It makes us belong. We have a stake in this. But this morning, I just wanted to talk about this because over the years, as a pastor, I wonder, you know, what can I actually do? When I first began pastoring in South uh, San Francisco, it, it, it was at times immobilizing. What, who am I? I get a chance to talk to some people who are right-hearted, devoted to the Lord, but what can we do? What does the Spirit of God do? Where's his focus of work? You're the field of God's play. You're what he wants to change. And through you and through me, we make an impact in our families 
if we're married with our, with our spouses, if we have friends with our friends, if we work with our workmates, if we go to school with our schoolmates, and then we have those opportunities to be something of a light in places where we're just passing through, like the supermarket or a trip. But I do think sometimes we have a glorified sense of our importance because we have all of these spies, if you will. We have all of these reports. We know what's going on. But then we overlook. We're concerned about what's over the hill or around the bend or across the street. And we're not concerned with the field of play where God wants to work his great work in our lives. What if we didn't let all of that stuff so alter our disposition or emotional makeup and we started to realize God's at work in us right where we are and to become more present with the Lord in what we're doing? Well, I just wanted to talk about that as a perspective. I hadn't planned to. It was just as I was sitting here this morning, it, I felt like God was prompting me to put some focus on this. Because the scouts are sent to look over the land, and to their surprise, they discover God at work in unexpected ways. But they're right there. They are in it. They are assessing it. And it's important to progress in faith to recognize God at work in our lives. Sometimes we see God at work in the lives of others. We think a huge work of God in that person's life. Or we see the dynamic faith of that person, but we don't think about it or see it in ourselves. And of course, Progress in faith needs to recognize the hand of God in our own lives. You don't have to be a pastor, for example, within our own little frame of reference, or somebody of higher rank or even lower. God wants to use you. He wants to work in your life. There is no way I would have become a pastor. That was not on my to-do list. But I wanted to make a difference in the Lord, and this is where he, he led me. And, and I didn't think that I could really be used. I didn't have all these gifts. I ran to the Lord because I was broken and kind of out of, out of chances. I wasn't the most likely to, the, to succeed. I was the guy chasing acceptance Wanting to be, you know, somebody. And then, I don't know how. But I understood this thing of following Jesus as the Lord saying, you belong to me and I want to use you. How, how willing are you? How far are you willing to go? It's important to progress in our faith to recognize the hand of God. Not just out there or in other places, but at work in our lives. 
in our decisions, in our values, in our choices, in our opportunities. We need eyes of faith to do this. We have to see God at work, his hand. There are other ways in which we try to talk about God moving in our life, prompting us, speaking to us, even revealing to us things that he wants us to do, all within the framework of his son, Jesus Christ, our New Testament, the Bible. Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, and I'm just going to excerpt the words I want you to hear, but it's right there, and it's very fundamental to what he's saying. He writes... And he is praying. He tells his readers, the church he's writing to, that this is his prayer for them. He says, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened to see the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now, the word is not see. I translated it see because the word know He says that you may know, but the word know comes from the word see. In other words, what we've seen, we know. And it has very much the quality of that perception of the mind that we can say, I see what you're talking about. And so I thought I would translate it that way. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened to see the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Eyes of faith are opened by God's spirit and by God's word. Not merely by what we see with our human eyeballs but what we see with the eyes of our heart, as Paul said. In 2 Kings, you know, we've heard of the prophet Elijah, and then Elijah passes the mantle to Elisha. And there was this occasion in 2 Kings 6, chapter 6, where the king of, of Syria, and I'm assuming the king of Syria is more powerful than the king of Israel, right? And so they are at war. And the king of Syria is getting frustrated because things are, you know, he sends out his spies. He's got his people who are doing surveillance out there, but things are not working out the way he wants. And he asks his advisor, why are things going wrong? You know, we're doing this planning. (laughs) And his advisor says, well, the the king of Israel has Elisha. And, And he, when he's in his bedroom, he can hear what you're saying in your court. So he says, well, I, I got to get Elisha. I mean, that's like Israel's secret weapon. So what he does is he sends out horses and chariots and a giant army because he finds that 
uh, Elisha is in this, this city, and so he surrounds the city, and Elisha doesn't know this. And in the morning, his helper, Elisha's helper, rises up before dawn, and he looks out. You know, he's probably sipping on his first cup of coffee, and he looks out the window, and he sees all these horses and chariots and this army, and he spits his coffee out, and he says, Master, no, we're surrounded. And Elisha joins him on the porch, and Elisha says to him, probably calmly, don't be afraid, for those with us outnumber those with them. Now, Elisha and his helper are looking at the very same thing, right? I mean, but Elisha's reality is really very different than his helper's reality. And then Elisha, well aware of this, prays, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. Now, that's an interesting expression, don't you think? Because he was the one who saw it loud and clear and bright and it freaked him out. But I, Elisha says, open his eyes so he can see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes and saw the hills covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It's a great example, don't you think, of what we see, what Paul was talking about when we have the eyes of our heart illuminated. Speaking for myself, I, I think you grow in this as you trust God, as you walk with him. Then I, I, look, I don't have a television show. I'm not making money on the side by some kind of special predictions or something like that. You know, John Venema Ministries, come for the healing hour or something like that. I'm just saying that when you walk in faith and you expect great things from God and you have eyes to see God at work and things that other people don't even know, they don't even think God exists, you start seeing things and you start giving thanks for things that other people wouldn't give thanks for because it was just a wild coincidence. Or how many times, you know, somebody's... They, they're, they're wishing for better things, but when better things come in, they take the credit. Or they think they had it coming. I think you get the idea. Faith in the Lord equips us to see things differently. And when we see things differently, life is full of surprises, and faith is full of surprises. You know, we learn early in life, I did, that believe, seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. But there's a greater truth that we learn in, in our faith, in our walk with Christ, and that is believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. In fact, Jesus, just for an example, at the tomb of Lazarus, he said, didn't I tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God? That's in John eleven forty. So with our eyes opened, you see, we see 
what we would never see and see God at work and see him at work in our lives and we engage our faith in our prayers and in our actions on a very small scale that are concerned about global matters. We conduct ourselves in the same way, in ways that bring honor, respect, and glory to the Lord who has our honor, respect, and glory. And we find strength and courage this way. Yeah, we can be strong and courageous. Faith is full of surprises when we're strong and courageous in our faith, walk with the Lord and expect great things from him. Here in Joshua, we, by faith, recognize God at work in ways the, the scouts would never have expected. So I want to read, I'd, I'd love to read the whole chapter. I hope you've read the whole chapter in advance. I hope during the week you read ahead. And I will be reading together. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 and then 23 and 24. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly or quietly from Shittim as spies, saying, go, view the land, or look over the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt 
and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, and who were beyond the, excuse me, and Og, when you devoted them to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And then skipping to the end of the chapter, the spies return, and they cross the Jordan, and they report to Joshua. And here's what they report. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills, passed over, and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. We couldn't have expected that. I mean, what did they expect? This was an amazing piece of news that they end up reporting. In fact, they go into the land to look it over, literally, look over the land. But they find some really unexpected things. They discover unexpected help in the most unlikely of places. And they also discover unexpected faith in the most unlikely of places. And they discover unexpected proof in the most unlikely of places. These are things that they had no reason to believe would be, so to speak, a grant of their mission, which was to go and look over the land. When, when we launch off into some endeavor, I have to gauge this kind of by myself, but I think we're just the same. So if I'm wrong there, um, but I believe that when we face some challenge, we always want help. I like help. I always feel more assured with help. It's natural for us to look for help. If we can get help in anything we do, we like help. Help is good. Sometimes we believe help is so necessary that it, the desire for help comes from, from fear of failure. Um, maybe feeling insecure in our abilities to accomplish what we have to accomplish. Whatever the case, it's much better to expect help, hope for help, want help, recognize help than fear. Fear immobilizes. Fear saps our strength. Fear sours our spirit. Sometimes we take on fears that we don't even need to take on. But when we have to take on fears, we need to do it with eyes of faith. We need to expect great things from God. We can't predict how God will help us, 
But if we go into it with an expectation that God will show up in some way for our good and the greater good, not always our personal advantage, but a greater good that we're committed to in Jesus Christ. If we awfulize what we face, and sometimes I find people are, I mean, we're losing so much energy because we're awfulizing everything that's going on out there and diminishing thereby the things that God wants us to be doing right here. And by here, I'm not speaking so much of location, but in our lives, in our personal relationships, in our opportunities to live in the power of the Lord by faith. We get distracted. We think that other stuff is more important. You gauge the importance by what you can actually do. People, when I walk on the campus, two people ask me, how are you doing? I said, to one, I'm a little nervous. What? What are you nervous about? I get nervous before I talk to you. Somebody told me a story of a famous golfer, one of the greatest of all time, asked him on the first tee, getting ready to tee off if he ever gets nervous. Yeah, I'm nervous every time. And you wouldn't expect him to be nervous. Champion golfer. He says, I'm always nervous when it's something important. What's really important is what God's called us to be doing. That's what's most important. Well, they find help in the most unexpected place. The word prostitute is a real eye catcher, you know, when you read it or you hear it. We really don't exactly know what a zona is. But here's what I think. I think they enter the city and there are hostels and there are taverns and things of that such. So they, they gravitate to that kind of place because that's where people gather. It's a more public place. I believe she was probably some kind of a tavern owner. Obviously, she has the reputation of a zona, which is here translated prostitute. Whether that's fair or not, we don't know. When you mix and fraternize and spend time with strangers that the locals don't know because people who come into town gravitate to your place. People gossip, people talk. So that's one thing to be thinking about when we think of Rahab. But the most important thing we need to be thinking about is that she helped these spies and they were totally dependent upon her. Did she lie? Well, if I know a lie, that's a lie. She lied. She lied. She lied to help these spies. It's very clear from the text that if she hadn't lied, if she had just said, hey, search for yourself, they would have been found. Their lives were in jeopardy. They were totally dependent on Rahab. In fact, when it says that after, after she said, you know, they went out. And if you hurry, you can catch them. So what are you waiting for? And they go out, and then what happens? Did you catch it? The gate shuts. That's how much jeopardy they're in. 
They are totally dependent upon her. They are captive without her. Their lives are lost without her. And that brings us to her amazing faith. They discovered unexpected faith. When you share with someone who doesn't know the Lord like you know the Lord, if you talk to someone about Jesus, if you inquire about whether they've ever heard of our Lord and Savior who was resurrected from the dead, sometimes we we anticipate animosity or we expect resistance or people to, to react in a way that embarrasses us or shames us. Well, what if we expected faith? Do we think maybe the word of the Lord sometimes goes before us and has prepared the ground? Sometimes there's other people talking to that person that God's prompting you to say something about, you know? Or are we more known for our politics than for the Lord Jesus? Are we more known for our pet peeves and our anger, and our frustration, and we're ticked about this or that. Are we grumblers? Are we just riding the waves of this life and paddling when we can? Or are we living with real purpose? Are we living like spies who have a mission, as it were? This lady has faith. That's why she's doing what she's doing. She tells the spies things they didn't know. And what does she tell them? We've heard about your God. And he's irresistible. What you did to Pharaoh and Egypt and what you did just across the Jordan to the king's Sion and Og and their peoples, she sees the writing on the wall. I guess in the crassest terms, you'd, you'd say she wants to be on the winning team. She chooses the right side, and she's willing to do what it takes. But she says, in her faith, I want to make a pact because I want to become a part of your people. She's actually rejected the Canaanite leadership in her actions. She is aligning with them. She helps them escape, but she asks them to protect her, her parents, her family. And so she enters into a covenant as you read on in that passage. And they promise life for life. In fact, they seal it with the very words that God uses in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Loyal love and faithfulness. Of course, it's not quite translated that way, but it's exactly the same words. That, that kind of commitment that, lit, you know, is loyal and faithful. You can count on us, is what they're saying. And she banks on that, puts her life on that. 
So when we get back to the end of the chapter and they cross over, what did they tell Joshua? What did they see? What did they, what did they learn? What did they scout out? They tell Joshua exactly what Rahab told them. That's proof that they didn't expect. She's proof that they have already, in a sense, conquered this land. God's people had seen many wondrous acts of God, yet they grumbled and complained, for they doubted rather than expected. And Rahab had heard of God's wondrous acts with not her eyes, but with her ears, she had not seen them, but she had heard them, and she banked everything on what she had heard about God. I don't see anything different between Rahab and me. In fact, Rahab is me. And I would hope to be Rahab. In other words, she heard about the Lord. And she acted accordingly. But the Israelites saw with their own eyes and grumbled and groused and what have you done for me lately, Lord? I like this Rahab. Rahab heard with eyes of faith. Faith is full of surprises. It's pretty exciting to walk the Christian walk in the footsteps of Jesus. I'm going to close us in prayer, but we're going to sing a closing song. And I want to remind you that as we're singing, I'll be down here, other deacons, elders, spouses, um, Brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, as God's spoken to your heart, maybe you're struggling with something and maybe God's words this morning held some hope or insight for you. Maybe God spoke to your heart. Maybe the Spirit's moving. You want to pray with one of us about that? Maybe bring a prayer request so that we can intercede for you and pray on your behalf and with you or to pray for someone else. Whatever God has put on your heart. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we read the Old Testament with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as background. It makes it our story, the story of faith and trusting God because he has conquered death, risen and poured out his spirit on his church. And we are walking and living in the newness of life that is ours in Christ. If you have not received Jesus Christ, but you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ or learn more about that, we invite you to come as well. Let me close us in prayer and then we'll stand and sing. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the work of your spirit and your lives. Thank you for your word, which comes alive and has so many principles that are so relevant to the way we walk with you in life each and every day. We thank you for all this and so much more. 
In Jesus' name, we praise you. And all of God's people said,